Thankfulness and gratitude are sometimes rare commodities in the world of self-made men. It seems to me that people are much better at complaining than the giving of thanks. In fact, actually, there are some people out there that have developed the fine art of being able to give thanks and complain at the same time. Believe it or not. Oh, thank you so much. That's just what I needed. Except it, it doesn't have that other thing, that other part. That's what I really, really want. But hey, thank you anyway. I don't know what I'll do with it, but probably have to sell it at the yard sale or give it to the goodwill. But hey, it's a thought that counts. Thank you. Um, people are complicated, but mostly complicated in the wrong way. It just goes to show, I think, how far we have fallen from the Lord's purpose, how little we know about who we are and what we're here for. Listen to the words of Psalm number 100. Psalm 100, verse 1, a psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Listed in scripture as anonymous, some scholars like to attribute it to King David. Dr. Clark seems to think that it's likely that this particular psalm was composed after the captivity, somewhere in uh, the uh, 6th century B.C. He thinks it's an expression of thanksgiving to God for the great deliverance, the people being able to return to their homeland, and encouragement to people to consecrate themselves and to be uh, diligent and exact in the performance of acts of public worship. And I'm sure there's a lot of that here. It's important to have a sense of the Lord's intention for the people that are being written to as we look at the scripture. Um, people that have been through such a de- devastating misfortune as the captivity, being desperately humbled and humiliated, are in some ways more accustomed to be thankful. They have no illusions of being the masters of their own destiny. They see the world for what it is. Men and women that have lived through hardship in the Lord understand their constant dependence upon the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What does it mean to be thankful, to give thanks? I mean, a person can be more thankful or less thankful. Some people just in their personal makeup are more disposed to acknowledge their indebtedness to others. The reality is that being thankful can be complicated. It's somewhat dependent on a circumstance of the person you're thankful to. And even then, it's a combination of things. I am thankful to so-and-so for thus and such. Being thankful for an aspirin, for a headache, is a very different thing than being thankful to a person that has prayed for me and, and stood with me in a difficult situation. My thankfulness is, is defined by its object, and my intentions are revealed by the acknowledgement of gratitude. Who I am shows up 
in the expression of gratitude. I can be deeply grateful or I can act thankful in the absence of any real gratitude. People who are characteristically ungrateful are, generally speaking, lacking understanding to see with any kind of real clarity their dependence upon others and the reality of their situation in the world they live in. And when I say the reality of their situation, I mean our dependence and our connectedness to the Lord. Ungrateful people are to be pitied. They don't know who they are. They don't know why they're here. They really don't. They may act very self-assured. They may seem to be very confident, but they don't know who they are. They don't have a clue. And somewhere down there at the bottom, they know that. They know that. It's not that gratitude brings about an understanding of those things. I think the reverse is probably true. A person that knows who they are and why they're here, that truth will generate a deep and powerful gratitude that will color all the activities of your life, revealing the Lord's presence wherever they have been. Psalm 100 is a testimony to just such a person, charging the servants of the Lord to a conduct that reflects the Lord's purpose for them. And here in the five verses, only five verses in this particular psalm, there are five key words I'd like you to focus on. Shout, serve, know, enter, and be. Those five words. First of all, in verse 1, shout. The spontaneous witness of God's faithful presence at work in the lives of his people. A psalm of thanksgiving, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Notice, not just any shout. The word for shout here is the word ruah, not to be confused with the Hebrew word for spirit, which is the word ruach. So I think only if you speak Hebrew, you're going to get the difference between those two. But ruah is shorter and it doesn't have so much ach at the end. Um, to, it's translated, uh, obviously, to, to shout. Uh, shout a war cry, an alarm battle sound, a signal. To shout in triumph, to shout in applause, to shout with religious impulse. And that's really our intention here. A joyous shout to the Lord. Now you may say, well, you know, I'm not much of a shouter myself. That's okay. Not everybody can be Italian. But seriously, I am sure no matter how reserved you might be, and there's nothing wrong with being reserved, I am sure that the Lord can reveal his presence to you in such a way that it will make you want to shout out loud with joy. I am certain that he can do that. And if you're an avid sports fan, perhaps, if you're a person that can't actually watch a game because it makes you so upset until after you hear who's won, and then you can watch it. You can. Am I the only one who does that? Um, anyway, if you're that kind of a, a fan, then you understand the idea of shouting spontaneously, almost uncontrollably. It's that kind of ex exclamation that the Lord is really talking about here. And if at no other time, I'd like to suggest to you that when you find yourself one day standing in the presence of the Lord, 
that it would be an understandable response. Very understandable. Hey, what if the rapture took place while you were sleeping? You might think you were dreaming, but probably not for long. It seems to me that this psalm is laid out in almost a reverse order of what follows logically. The beginning shout is really the final expression of recognizing all that is in this psalm, his goodness and his mercy towards us, the blessing of worshiping him in a community of believers, identifying ourselves as his people, his creation, and finally coming into his presence. I mean, there can be no other response than that exclamation of greatest joy. And this is really the situation of all the earth, he says in verse 1, all you lands. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. i got to tell you, the other day I was coming to church and leaving my house about, I don't know, uh, quarter to six, something like that. And I got out in the front yard, and I looked up at the sky, and I'm serious, the moon and Venus and Mars and some other planet were all lined up in a perfect straight line. And I was just like, I was amazed. I was like, look at that. That's amazing. And I'm sure the Lord just did it for me. You know? I mean, somebody else may have seen it, but it was just wild. The heavens declare the glory of God. All nations should be shouting to the Lord with a joyful sound. You know what, folks? If people only knew who the Lord is, if they only knew. Luke 19, verse 40, Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the very stones would immediately cry out. People who are rejoicing with Jesus at the triumphal entry. And the the religious people are telling him, tell tell your followers to be quiet. And he says, you know, the stones would cry. If they had the slightest idea of the amazing goodness of his beautiful intentions toward them, they would not be restrained from crying out to him. Often I have thought that if people only knew who Jesus really was, and if they only understood what he has done for us, we would all be meeting in the Rose Bowl. We really would. Our street witnessing team would be mobbed every Friday evening in Old Town Pasadena by people climbing over one another to hear the words of the gospel. But unfortunately, that is not the case. The minds of men have been poisoned against the truth. And even, you know, the atmosphere of this present world is malicious to the truth of Jesus Christ. And the hearts of men are a stone to God's loving intentions. At least until the Holy Spirit rests upon them. From that very first day, God has sought out every single person to pursue them with the truth of his affection. The words of Jesus before he enters the city of Jerusalem in Matthew 23, verse 37, he says, How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. And on that great day when men stand before the Lord, what will they answer the one who died on the cross for their sins? What reason will they give for their refusal, for their ingratitude? Verse 2, serve the natural outgrowth 
of understanding our attachment to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. One of the difficult things I think about being attached to the body of Christ, being a Christian here in the Western world, is observing in the church the the resistance, I don't know, the hesitancy of people to be involved in actually serving God. And I have to say that I really believe this church is largely an exception to that rule. There are so many, such a high percentage of people in this fellowship that are actively involved in serving God. It really is contrary to what the average church in the United States is like. People in this world are programmed, they're indoctrinated from a very early age to serve themselves. I'll give you a case in point. What's the opposite of me first? You first. No, it's not. You first is me second. The opposite of me first is me last. But that's what you think automatically because you've been programmed. It's all about you to consider themselves first. And people in the Western world are dramatically self-interested and self-centered, so much so that they really don't even notice that it's all about them. It's the new normal. Me, me, me. To the extent that people are fearful even to ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me do? For fear that he would ask you to do something outside of your comfort zone. And it's a good fear because he will. God will ask you to do such things. Outside of my comfort zone is really God's wheelhouse. This is where he likes to work and affect changes in me and work in me. The great tragedy is in failing to understand service as the catalyst. It's the thing that really drives the whole productive situation in my relationship with the Lord. My whole Everything that I receive from the Lord comes from me being willing and giving in that, in that way. Serving the Lord, denying myself, surrendering myself to his purpose. All doors open to his blessing for me. And it's in giving that we're blessed. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians 8, he's instructing the Corinthians. And he's using the example of the people who live in Thessalonica, the people who live up in Macedonia. He says, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality and their giving. For I bear you witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints And not only as we had hoped, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Powerful stuff. Amazing. Great example to those people who are willing. But notice, it's not just service, but verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with singing. No complaining. No grumpy servants. Question, do I ever show up to serve the Lord with a messed up attitude? see who's here um maybe sometimes maybe it's hap- maybe it's happened once uh but never thinking that it's okay not for long anyway you know uh 
always aware that I need an attitude adjustment. And God is really good at that. In fact, he never misses an opportunity. It's interesting here how he links the activity of service with singing, which singing is an amazing expression of joy in the presence of the Lord. People, believe it or not, people actually call the church regularly, okay? And they want to know, when does the service start? Not the singing part. The when does, what time does the pastor actually get up there and start talking? Seriously, I'm, I'm serious. This happens regularly. It sort of breaks your heart. You know, they don't get it. You know, you don't have to sing. You get to. You get to sing to the Lord. It's your privilege. And if you don't enjoy it, let me suggest maybe you're doing it wrong. Maybe your heart's not in it or maybe you're not investing yourself in the worship. Very few things that you will ever do in your life as significant as worshiping the Lord in song. Time well spent. Think about that. When I sing in church, what am I actually doing? I mean, who am I singing to? And why am I singing? When I sing to the Lord, I want to forget that there is anybody else in the world. That is really my goal. I want to forget where I am. I want to forget about my day. I want to forget everything except Him. I want my mind to be solely and exclusively glued to Him. Those are things that I just can't think. They can't be passing through my mind idly. They're they're things that I need to be established and founded in that truth. I need to know. And in verse 3, the word know. To be without question in the recognition of the truth. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Again, in the context of the book of Psalms, we understand that this relates as the, the Psalms are worship songs practiced in the temple for the purpose of worship. This relates specifically to the nation of Israel. But again, it's no stretch to apply to all the people of the world. Even if we are not all children of Abraham by the flesh, we are certainly all the children of Adam. There's a lot going on in this verse. Actually, three major ideas. And the Lord is asking us to know. First, know that the Lord, He is God. This has to be the starting point for the truth. The recognition that Yahweh is the one and only God. The Hebrew actually says, know that Yahweh is Elohim. The two words for God there. And one, of course, Yahweh, the name of God. And the word know is the Hebrew word yada. To know, to learn, to perceive, perceive and see, to discern, discriminate, to distinguish, to know by experience, to recognize, admit, acknowledge, confess, to consider, to be acquainted with, to know. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge, knowing of the Holy One, is understanding. It's not an opinion. It's not a feeling or an impression or an inclination. James chapter 2, verse 19 says, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe, and they tremble. Do we tremble at the Lord? Granted, we're not in the same situation as the demons, but still, 
You know, sometimes I fear for myself and everybody that we are a little bit too comfortable and even cavalier with how we see the Lord. Deuteronomy 4.24 says, The Lord your God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. Hebrews 4.13 tells us, There is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. You know, I, I don't understand everything about the Lord or even the things that He does sometimes. However, I need the things I do understand. I need those things to be the very foundation of who I am as a person. Everything I do has to profess and declare that truth. The things I do, the things I speak, the way I think, the person that I am, all need to reflect my conviction that the Lord is sovereign in the world of men. That's, that's the target, anyway. That's what I'm shooting for. Nothing less. Do I always hit that target? I wish. I wish. Jeremiah 9.23 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. John chapter 6, verse 28, Jesus speaking to a crowd, the Sea of Galilee. He said, they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. If you got that down, the rest will follow. It really will. But that word believe That's about neck deep, if not over our heads altogether. Know that the Lord, He is God. And then secondly, it is He who has made us and not we ourselves. Now you would think that if you got that first point, the second would be pretty automatic. That would be nice. However, in the world we live in, we can't afford to take anything for granted. Cross all the T's and dot all the I's. In this world, we're fighting an uphill battle. And to stand up in a public venue and profess God as the creator in the Western world will still subject you to every kind of indignity and abuse and sarcasm, scorn. Take your pick. The one thing that you are not likely to hear is agreement, even from the community of some professing Christians. You will get every flavor of dissent. And partial agreement. Fine, fine. The Lord's God. But creation is something else. We know how that happened. We have scientific evidence. Watch out for that scientific evidence. Uh, You'll be amazed the things we don't know about what we know. I found oftentimes the biggest lies in a sentence come prefaced by the words, well, it's a known fact. It's a known fact. It's a known fact. Aliens built the pyramids. It's a known fact. It's a known fact. People are born homosexuals. It's a known fact. Human beings, like everything else, are the product of accidental happenstance. It just happened by accident. This is, in fact, what people want to believe. They really want to believe that, that human beings happen by accident. Why? 
Why do they want to believe that? Mainly because it relieves them from any accountability or responsibility to answer for themselves and their actions. And people really want that badly. They call it freedom, which in fact is the very worst kind of bondage that any person can suffer because it is entirely contrary to who we really are and why we are here. People are so willing to trade the truth for a convenient lie. Now, I know that you guys are not shocked by this. This is what you expect. You live in the world of men. You're not, you're not naive. You're not ignorant of what's going on. You probably watch television. You read magazines. But think for a minute. It has really got to take a lot of work for the whole world to forget who God is. I mean, that's got to be an amazing, gargantuan task. Considering the amazing things that the Lord has done in this world, the form and structure of the whole universe by which he reveals his handiwork, the way the planets all go around each other. and I, I mean, it's crazy. The whole thing is moving. It's a famous Albert Einstein quote, something's moving. Everything's moving. Everything. His judgment on the planet in a worldwide flood, leaving evidence in about every square foot of earth on the planet. There's no, no place on, on this earth that you can't dig and find evidence of the worldwide flood. And then the history of the nation of Israel. <clears throat> One miracle after another, testifying to the hand of God at work in the world of men. It is past Sunday night, Pastor Fernando was sharing about uh, God feeding and providing water for the Jews as they were 40 years in the wilderness, feeding them supernaturally. He didn't put supermarkets out there. Manna just came down out of the sky for 40 years, some 2 million people. That's amazing. How do you forget something like that? How do you lose that? Well, actually, we didn't forget it. It's over here you know, in the book of Exodus. But people just kind of, well, you know, it's just mythology. Overlooking the Lord in our understanding, the understanding of, of who we are, may rate as the most substantial scientific achievement in the last 500 years. Certainly the most labor-intensive. People are working hard at it. We have to work really hard to lose all those details. Somehow we manage. We know that the Lord, that He is God. We know it is He who has made us, not, not we ourselves. And finally, we are the people. We are His people. We are the sheep of His pasture. His people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may pre proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice how closely linked the idea of worship is with identifying who we are in relationship to the Lord. We need to spend time every day thinking and reflecting upon the fact that we, we belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body 
and in your spirit, which are God's. In this entire world of crazy, mixed up, out of control men and women, you are entirely unique. There is nobody like you. There is nobody that is even similar to you. There may be people out there that kind of look like you a little bit, but they are not like you. You are unique. You are the personal possession of God Almighty. You are an ambassador of His truth. He made you for a specific purpose. And you need to think about that. It needs to be a reality in your mind as we go forward. A purpose that He is leading you toward. We are His. He is with us. He is not detached. He's not removed from us in any way. John chapter 10 Verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep. He flees. The wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And yes, Jesus is the shepherd of the Jewish people. Jesus came to minister to the Jews. And you're right, and that's why he says in the very next verse in John 10:16, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. And that's you. Unless, of course, you're Jewish. The idea is this, folks. We exist. We are here. We have been placed in this moment for the expect purpose of our Creator. Well, wait a minute. Don't the Muslims believe that they were the creation of an all-powerful God? Yeah. Yeah, they do. They believe that. The problem is that the teaching of Islam and the nature of their God has been plainly and powerfully portrayed in the actions of those that are most enthusiastic in seeking his approval. Clearly and plainly portrayed in stark contrast to the teaching of the Scripture, the Word of God, the Bible, which shows us clearly and without any doubt that we know that the Lord is God, that we know that it is He who has made us, not we ourselves, and that we are the, His people, the sheep of His pasture. And so in the first part of verse 4, we enter. We are by choice led into the community of those who worship the Lord. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Knowing what we know, there is no other way we could ever approach the Lord than with worship and with gratitude. And we choose to do this. Entering the presence of the Lord is something we do by choice. The world is full of people that refuse to acknowledge the Lord as present with us, as sovereign, or even as existing the amazing testimony of the genius of mankind that they can't figure out that God is real. I should talk, though. You know, for a good part of my adult life, I didn't believe in the Lord. And I 
I thought I was a really smart guy. You know, I was confused. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And that's us. That's how we got saved. We heard the preaching of the word of God and the Lord reached out to us and touched our hearts. Those who have by the Spirit of God chosen to recognize that we are every hour in His presence, in the presence of the true and living God. And this is the rule by which we live. We practice the presence of the Lord. We make it our aim every day to be mindful of the fact that God is with me. You see, when I'm thinking that the Lord is with me, it has a dramatic effect on what I do, how I act. The way I drive. Sometimes. Practicing the presence of the Lord. Submitting ourselves to Him for His purpose, whatever that purpose might be. And not only that, but we count it as a privilege to do so. We every day, as you know, the light dawns upon us from the sky, we enter His presence and that privilege. We who are defined by that truth. We are confident, convinced. We are assured. We know. And so in the last part of verse 4, B, that our lives are not a practice for the purpose of appearance. It is who we are in point of fact. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. And his mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. It, it sounds easy to be thankful to the Lord, but it's not always. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 tells us that the same hardships that are common to all people in this world take place in the lives of believers. We have sickness. We have death. We have family problems. We have financial problems. We have every kind of problem anybody else has got out there, even though we're believers in Christ. And sometimes those problems are a little bit more than we can handle, more than we can deal with, and um, we have trouble with that. And that, in turn, has an effect upon our ability to be thankful to the Lord the way that we need to be. But you know it. My desire, I, I so want the Lord to dominate my landscape so that, you know, I have this tendency to take a problem. And I mean, problems don't always seem small, but even a dime, if you hold it close enough to your eye, you can blot out the sun with it. You know, it's just like, wow, it's amazing. And the same thing with a, with a problem, with a hardship and a difficulty if it is the only thing spinning around in my head all day long, it gets larger and larger and larger 
And what I want to do is I want, to, I want my meditation, my thoughts to be on the Lord because when I'm in a difficult circumstance, God has a specific and a definite purpose for it. Now, I may not know what that is. And sometimes it's important that I don't know what the purpose is. Sometimes that's a part of the work that he's doing that I don't even understand. God, I don't see any application for this. Why is this happening in my life? I don't, I don't understand it. That's part of it. He wants me to, that's faith. He wants me to trust him in spite of the fact that I can't see the answer. We want to be sincerely thankful to him. We don't want to act thankful. We're not content to appear grateful. There is, you know, there's little consequence to what the people of this world think of us. And we find our greatest satisfaction in the fulfillment, in reflecting the glory of God's presence and his nature that has called us. In Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7, the Lord says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him. Bring out the blind people who have eyes and the deaf who have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring out their witnesses that they may be justified or let them hear and say, it is truth. You are my witnesses, plural, that you may know and believe me. I'm sorry. You are my witnesses, plural, says the Lord. And my servant, singular, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Acts 4.12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Folks, we live in a perilous place. Doesn't seem that way, does it? I mean, after church, you're going to pack up, go on home, get ready for the holiday tomorrow, <clears throat> take the day off, enjoy yourself, kick back, watch a football game, or for you ladies, try and avoid watching a football game. You know, whatever the case, you, you know, you just you have plans, or things coming, going, days, you know, Christmas in a few weeks, and folks, we live in a perilous place. From the day that we're born in this place, our lives are in jeopardy. Our physical lives, our spiritual eternity is in jeopardy. This is a perilous place. And we, from the moment we were born, we desperately need a Savior. We need a Savior. We need to be saved from this place. And there's only one who can do that. And we need to hold to Him as if our lives depend upon it, because they do. Verse 5 says, For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. What do we mean when we say the Lord is good? What do we really mean? We don't mean that He fits our definition of what we think good is. Although for the most part that's true, I think. What most people think of good fits the Lord. But what we want to mean when we say the Lord is good, is that He is the standard by which all good 
is justified and understood. He is the identification of what is good. When you take some, you say, well, this is good. We put it up against, yeah, that is good. You know, you identify it by the Lord. Something is truly good. It reflects the nature and even the person of the Lord. He is love. He is truth. He is good. His mercy is everlasting. And you know, I'm going to need every bit of it, frankly. I mean, if it were only 10 million years of mercy, I'd be in a lot of trouble. I'm persuaded that I will never find myself in a circumstance of life where I do not need the mercy of God even in eternity. I rely upon it like I breathe air. I have no expectation to do otherwise. And His truth endures to all generations. How blessed we are that in the ages to come, we may rely upon the wisdom and knowledge of the Lord to give us reason and understanding as the community of those who worship in spirit and in truth. God gives us His truth in the days to come. So it's a good thing. Amen. Shout, serve, know, enter, and be. And if you look at it in the reverse, because if you are, if you be thankful, you will enter, and then you will know. And if you know, then you will serve. And if your service, your life is marked by service to God, then you're going to find yourself in a situation where you shout for joy because of all that He does. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Amen. Recently I saw an interview on television. The young lady who had been in the theater where the concert was in Paris during the most recent terrorist attacks. She described in some detail her situation at the concert and Initial reactions, beginning with the gunfire, thinking it might be fireworks or some part of the show. And then, of course, when it became evident that it was not, she just happened to be located in a part of the building. It was very close to an exit, and she and some other people hurried and escaped and got out of the building. Anyway, she was sharing this information on television uh, sometime the next day, and she was, she was still shaking physically. You could physically see her shaking. The reporter asked her a question of how do you feel about the things that have taken place? And her response was really fascinating to me. She said, All I know is that the universe was watching out for me last night. The universe does not watch out for people. The universe does not play favorites. The universe, in the sense in which this woman is speaking, doesn't do anything at all. The universe is just is. I mean, this idea is akin to holding a grudge against the floor when you fall down. You know? Attributing to mindless and inanimate objects the virtue of intelligent thought and action is... I mean, pretty obviously ridiculous. But what's interesting to me is that this young woman's life, having been spared, 
she had in her heart and in her mind a desire to be grateful. She recognized that there was an intelligent design in the situation. And she had a sincere desire to be grateful. She recognized that there was a design behind her deliverance. She had a desire to acknowledge that design and to offer thanks in the situation. Problem was, she just didn't know who to thank. And that, my friends, is a problem. That's a problem. It may be the biggest problem that any person can have. And I submit to you, let's you and I agree together to help people with that problem, to help them understand who deserves the thanks for their lives as we offer our thanks to the one who has blessed us, the one who has kept us, the one who has made his face to shine upon us and been gracious to us, the one who has lifted up his countenance upon us and has promised to give us peace. We will thank him. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving. Father, we thank you, Lord. We do sincerely thank you, offer our thanks to you, Lord. We are grateful to you, Lord, because, Father, you have revealed yourself to us in a way that is just so amazing. You have spoken to us through your word. You have ministered to our hearts. You've taught us. You've instructed us, Father. And, Lord, you're not done with us yet. And, Father, our prayer this night Let your Holy Spirit so work in our lives, Father, that we would be proper servants to you. That, Father, we would address those issues, Lord, that you are working on in our lives. That we would humble ourselves before you. And, Father, that we might be an example of thankfulness to those around us. Father, especially those who don't know you. Touch their hearts. And Lord, as we meet with our families for this holiday, Father, we have many, many loved ones that do not know you. Oh, Lord, we pray for them. Grip their hearts with your truth. Lord, open our opportunity. Or Lord, just let our lives speak to them of their great need that they might hear the name of Jesus and be drawn to the truth. This evening, as we're all praying together, if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, we want to give you an opportunity to be thankful to Him, to surrender yourself into His hands, to acknowledge His death on the cross as forgiving your sins. I mean, no greater opportunity before any person. And if it's your desire to receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'd like to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I want to ask you to forgive me for all of my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me, and I believe that he rose from the dead. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, and Lord, lead me in your way. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you. My brother John would love to give you a Bible, pray with you, encourage you. And for the rest of you rotten sinners, (laughs) have a wonderful day. Don't eat too much. Don't be like me. (laughs) Have a great day. Rejoice in the Lord. If you guys need prayer for anything at all, we'll be up here in front. Let's close the service in worship. Let's all stand up and give thanks and glory to the Lord. Lord bless you folks. Have a great week.